At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Hey, everybody, Wizard and the Bruiser and Page 7 are going back on the road this summer. That's right, release the Butthole Cut Tour returns. Where are we going, Jake? Oh, you can find us in Salt Lake City, Denver, Las Vegas, Portland, Tacoma, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, and St. Louis, Missouri. LastPodcastNetwork.com for tickets. Go to LastPodcastNetwork.com for Page 7 and Wizard and the Bruiser present release the Butthole Cut Tour. Hey Jake, it's me. It's Zelda. And I'm the wizard. Do you want to kiss me? Ooh, Jakey Jake, I want to kiss you. Uh, as your sworn knight, it is my duty only to protect you in a platonic fashion. The love for you is merely an extension of my platonic love for all things good and righteous in this world. Hold on, hold on. I get your microphone is badly damaged. Your microphone is badly <laughs> damaged. What the fuck? I just said one <laughs> sentence. I didn't even get to say anything. <laughs> Crunk. Okay, I'm sorry. I got a new microphone. Thank you. Anyway, there you go. Yeah, okay, yeah. I picked up a shittier microphone and now I'm stuck having to use this shitty mic. <laughs> I worked really hard for that other microphone. I solved like eight different puzzles and I like was really excited for that microphone. This metaphor is working, Jake. <laughs> I love it. I was just Very staring visual. at a big I got it ball all and I had to figure out whether I had to bomb the ball or pull the ball or <laughs> hit the ball. And then it turns out I had to move my whole desk to make sure that the ball rolled in the right direction. Oh, I'm so excited we're doing this episode right now. So because Jake is he popped the Breath of the Wild cherry mm-hmm. in the in the process of of researching this episode, I am on my second playthrough now. I'm so happy to do it too. I needed an excuse to play this game again uh because I originally played it on the Wii U and before the DLC came out, so getting to play it on a slightly better soft uh, hardware, much better hardware and uh with with all those extra bells and whistles uh, is is quite fun for me, and I'm just right back in it, baby. I just love this game. I mean, I, I'm a big old Zelda fan, and and honestly, though, Jake too. It's it's oh, he's like we talk about this every time. I, I, I've never played it. You can't believe I've never played it. It's definitely that that 
you know how people are annoying about you've never seen the godfather like that's definitely how i feel a little bit about jake specifically not ever having played this game before i was late to getting a switch i when the switch came out i was working like part-time for very little money i did not have a lot of spending money to like I already sprung for the 3DS and that was like my main gaming thing when I was living in a shitty, constantly flooding basement in Brooklyn. And so, yeah, I saw my friends and heard them all like kind of experiencing the game together, talking about like, oh, did you did you go like past the mountain and then land on the island? And they're like, oh, my God, when that thing happens on the island and I just like was like, oh, good for them. And I was obviously happy for Nintendo, happy that the um. Because I'm invested like the I'm, I'm you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be a Disney adult, but I could very <laughs> easily be a Nintendo adult. Fuck it. There, I oh, went yeah. to the Mario movie and saw my fellow Nintendo adults. Yeah, I love so, like, I have this silly job well, to justify the, the yeah. you know, these exact actions, Jake. Like, yeah, for sure. Like, it's the best. I'm totally a Nintendo adult. Um, So. I knew forever that it was this amazing experience, but I also knew it was this very involved experience that it was kind of this like thing that you couldn't just like play on the toilet like a phone game. And it wasn't like a battle royale that you could just play a round of and then like log off. So it seemed kind of intimidating. It's it felt like it was always going to be there. And I knew at a cer- after a certain number of years that we're going to do an episode on it. The sequel is going to come out soon and we will like I will I the opportunity will arise. And this week was that opportunity. And yeah, no, but but, they were right. But you didn't get it at first. And that was interesting to me. You you weren't clicking with it initially. So I really, really curious. I'll talk about my journey with it, but I'm so interested to open things up on this episode before we get into the whole making of and all the, all the fun Mm. deets on how the fuck this thing happened, because it is such a wonderful, unique, fascinating thing out of Nintendo that nobody expected and completely just changed the game on uh, on uh, open world approach we wouldn't have probably might be one of my pro- might be my favorite game of all time uh, at some point in life you're talking uh, about Genshin after all Impact said and done Yes, we wouldn't have Genshin Impact <laughs> without Breath of the Wild, we, but we also wouldn't have oh, Elden Ring okay, without Breath means- of the Wild, which is so incredible that you know that FromSoft managed to take everything they were doing in Breath of the Wild and like adapt it to a Souls like, but any or a Souls game. But anyways, Jake, yeah, at first it didn't quite. You you, you came into the study session just being like, I'm just. You, you lay it on. I, I can speak for you, You're but lay it on. About us. our Sunday study session, go to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Find yes. out how you can enjoy our weekly live face to face meeting with our patrons and we go over future topics together. Um, yeah, no, I was like, the ways that it broke the Zelda conventions, I wasn't quite like uh, down for, especially because as soon as I got off the Great Plateau, you know, I just, there's just this giant map and I would walk in one direction and all of a sudden the Moblins were like eight levels. I know they don't use levels. I know it's a very highly complex, real-time scaling thing they do. But these high-level enemies that like would just burn through my life force, burn through everything, and my, you know, roasted apple stock didn't uh, get me through those (laughs) fights. I would like, I didn't have any stamina. I didn't have anything to go with. And I would just find myself hitting these brick walls over and over again. And it wasn't until that study session where someone was like, you have to just be a cowardly 
Little Mouse. Uh-huh. And even though the a game bit. is set up for this incredible like flow experience where you're on the main path, you see a distraction, you follow your curiosity and it unfolds and creates this little loop where you like get your reward or you find the shrine or you find the fountain or you find whatever and then you go back on the path that when you're right off the plateau you just got to like cower and sneak and just hoard and just yes. really be a mouse like weirdo and then as soon as i did that made my way to the um the rudo not the rudo whether who are the bird people the Oh shoot! I have I have not gotten to them yet in the second playthrough. They so look I can't... like little duck people in uh, yeah. Wind Waker, and now they look like cool falcon people. Yeah. Um. I made my the Sky Village. Let's just call it that. Got uh, Rivali's Gale. Beat that dungeon or Great Beast, and all of a sudden I had like better stuff. I had like the ability to actually like do shit and win fights, and the game opened up in a much much more dynamic way, and I was immediately hooked. And yeah, yeah. It's actually ironic because the game, I mean, I've played uh, Link Between Worlds. I've played uh, a little bit of the Link's Awakening remake. I've played like a bunch of Zelda games since then. But the one thing that I remember most that made me like almost give up on the franchise was Skyward Sword with all the fucking tutorials. Uh-huh. Just the agony of fee-fi the talking sword being like, Hello, Link, you have to t- press A to do this. And I'm like, I know, I know. It's like, hey, you found a rupee, a rupee is money. I'm like, I know, I know. Well, and they even fixed a lot of that in the re-release they they ended up doing, which I'm kind of shocked they did a re-release so recently um, for the Switch. But I was glad because it gave me an excuse to play it. And even with fixing all of that stuff, it's just so, it's like they took what they established amazingly uh in uh uh with Ocarina of Time to its like bitter end. Like it was so confined in this weird way because of the structure with the different, you know, floating islands that you're flying to. You're you're always just kind of have tunnel vision in this way that's very un-Zelda. And and it's like go here, go through this area. There might be a little so secret area or say- something, but but you know, we want you to be on this very set path where you go, you end up in a dungeon and you, you know, you solve the puzzles and you kill the things you end up fighting the final boss of the, and you, you get that item upgrade or whatever you get the hook shot or whatever the fuck they want you to get in that dungeon and rent rinse, repeat in this way that kind of made you go like, Oh, what is, what do I like about this experience? You know? And, and I think that, that then Breath of the Wild comes by and is like, oh, we we don't even. I don't have to ask myself this. I know exactly what I like about this experience, you know. And we'll get into more and more what that is. So you say true to the Zelda experience, but for me, that Ocarina of Time setup was the Zelda experience. Uh-huh. And yeah, the irony that like I was so sick and tired of all the handholding that had taken over the franchise, and then as soon as it was gone, I was like, eh. Wait, this is too much. I don't. Where do I do? This is unfair. This is bullshit. Yeah, they're like, here's the opposite, bitch. And you're (laughs) like, um, wait, what do I? Hold on. Wait, you gave me everything right up top. What do you mean I get? I have everything right up top. You don't. Obviously, you get certain. You just mentioned getting the uh, Uh, item from the bird people or whatever. You know what I mean? Am I supposed to drop a box on this guy, or am I supposed to push him off with a wind leaf, or am I supposed to just like 
wail on him with an underleveled sword and hope it doesn't break. And the game's and like, Nintendo just says, yes, whatever you want, <laughs> all of those things. And I absolutely, and it was such a revelation. Am I supposed to exploit a weird glitch where if I, uh, run into a pot at the right angle, it'll push me into the air at Mach 7, and then I can walk through doors that haven't loaded yet. But but the fundamental of that is in existence in the very first Zelda game, in The Legend of Zelda. The Legend of Zelda drops you in in the middle of this world and just says, go, find it, figure it out. And yeah, I had a neighbor with me who, you know, because I was playing their Nintendo. Yeah. And they said, hey, here's how to get to the first dungeon. And and here's maybe maybe where the second one might be. And that was it. I mean, you know, from but but at the end of the day, you're just you're just left to your own devices. And yeah, there's not a whole crazy physics thing and chemistry and all this kind of stuff that you get in Breath of the Wild. But but that fundamental experience really harkens back to the very first game. I mean, if you really want, you can get to um that, you know, final dungeon. Imme- pretty immediately, mm-hmm. right? And, and right, you know, or 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 at least very advanced dungeons, and uh, that is what Breath of the Wild really delivers. Uh, oh, but way more so because you can't just go fight Ganon immediately after you know, uh, you know, ten, 30 minutes into the game. Like, <laughs> I mean, I believe at uh, what is the the official record is currently uh, eleven days ago. 23 yeah. minutes, 49 yeah. seconds. You can, in fact, do that. To a but. game that takes, that is, I mean, how many hours in are you and you're you're not even halfway through? <sighs> I don't even yeah. know. I don't even know. I Yeah, I only, I'm like on the, I'm two great beasts down. I'm like on my way to getting the third. Uh, countless like weird, just like abortive runs where mm-hmm. I set off in one direction and it was like, nope, you hit a weird mountain and you don't have the flame proof suit uh-huh. yet. Like turn around. Yeah. Up, you like hit. Okay, you journeyed for an hour. You found this like shrine, but uh, it's a like moderate test of strength, and you do not yeah. have the gear to pull this off. Um, so, like, I there is a little bit of frustration, and the game isn't perfect. You know, how many times did you like open a chest only to find out that like your inventory's full, and you got to like go and like figure out what your worst item is, drop it, like do all that stuff. There are like moments that uh-huh. the, 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 there's inventory stuff. The weapon breaking thing, I think I feel different types of ways about it. Honestly, like I love that I'm always playing with different weapons in a way that I, I wouldn't normally or that like it's just a completely different way of doing combat and like inventory. Right. Then than pretty much mm-hmm. any other game where you, you you're like, oh, I get it. They're always giving you tons of weapons like you never like run out of weapons really you know i mean there are times where like it's very clear that like i need a specific kind of arrow for a given situation and i don't have those arrows arrows are a little different arrows are different but just just fundamental having swords to swing around like or something to swing around i think that for the most part i you know i i've i've remember this from my initial gameplay or playthrough and i'm dealing with, i'm having the same experience now where i'm like i'm never like out of swords like there's just too many you know they're just throwing so many at you um but but i i feel like jake i i think maybe it's just because whatever the way the game wants you to play deep down like the hidden way Mm -hmm. i feel like i click into really well and all like at least for now 
all I, all I'm doing is you just use the towers and the shrines, right. the like mini shrines, as carrots, and and they're literally orange. And you go and you just go from tower to shrine. And I also like give me a mm-hmm. map to open up, please. I, I I do have a little bit of tower fatigue. It's just such the thing that's used in everyone. But that's what I love about you know Far Cry until Far Cry got kind of Assassin's uh, Creed, you know, repetitive with it. Assassin's Creed, I love opening up a map, especially in this game where it's like you can kind of open up the whole map before doing any of the like major shrines or anything like that. Like, yes, there's there's places you kind of shouldn't be just yet. And you'll have to it almost feels like you're cheating the game by unlocking the tower, but you can do it. And and that's kind of where I start. I just go from. Tower to tower, shrine to shrine. I will say, uh-huh. I will say, unlocking Rivali's Gale, unlocking that ability to just like, there's entire, like, yeah, if there's a tower with like a weird gimmick and I'm just like, fuck this. It's just, it's the, I like having the yeah. fuck this button that is Rivali's Gale. Um, totally. That just- At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. You're right. Yeah, you, I should actually probably go for that now. But there's just, I just love that, you know, too, that you're, I mean, f- they definitely push you along in certain directions up top, right? Like they give you like, hey, mm-hmm. go to Kakariko Village, you know, to start, like, obviously. But we're having completely different experiences right now. Like right now, I'm at the Zora town first. And you just said you just got to the Zora stuff. That's true. And that's even that alone is amazing. Like you've done a whole giant t- dungeon essentially and all that kind of stuff or whatever you want to call those things. Because again, talking about the game's not perfect. I think that's the other thing people want. And, and apparently that's the promise of Tears of the Kingdom is that we are going to get bit kind of more traditional big Zelda dungeons, which is so exciting to me because that was a little weak sauce. For a lot of people, including myself. There, yeah, I remember palpable disappointment getting to my second Divine Beast and realizing like, oh, I'm just tilting stuff when making balls fall on ramps again. Okay. Yeah, it, it's not like that singular experience for every dungeon like you got in, you know, as pretty much every other Zelda game, right? Especially since Ocarina. <laughs> well, really, but no, even the 2D. Uh, so, nothing like that. That uh, Oh, I got the hook shot. And uh-huh. then you enter a room and you see, ah, there's the only thing in the room I can use my hook shot on. 
I bet I should hit that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. That kind of that. If they can combine a little bit of that, but they're doing so much crazy shit with tears. We'll talk about that. Mm. But I just think that this game, it just this game feels made for me, and I know a lot of people feel that way, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Because I can't get lost in a Red Dead 2 or mm-hmm. a No Man's Sky or even a Skyrim, right? I just kind of can't. I I want objectives and I want to check bo- boxes and on lists and, you know, but at the same time, the Horizon format, the, you know, even Assassin's Creed as it is more currently, the... Giant, you know, GTA, the giant open world experience that does that, also getting pretty fatigued with that. It's getting a little, and then Breath of the Wild drops, and it's like, man, they kind of figured out how to how to make me feel that false sense of accomplishment that I need from my video gaming experience, where I'm like, wow, I really checked off some boxes there, <laughs> but without the specific boxes on on a list on a menu without without like just making me choose an objective um walk towards it on the mini map walk towards it on Blind, the mini map like, to the point where you're not even looking at the screen you're just checking the compass yes yes uh exactly like in this way that I'm actually fully experiencing this world and actually am finding myself getting lost in it because I'm getting lost because I see there's an orange thing in the, you know, in the background. And I'm like, see that thing? I'm going to walk to it. And then in doing that, they've just perfectly placed things throughout the world to not be too overwhelming. There's a simplicity to it, which I also think is important. But, you know, you're so you're just constantly like fine, get going off on these different directions. Maybe you meet some character and have a conversation and pick up a side quest. And there are side quests Kill in this a game. Giga weirdo. Yeah. All that stuff is just, I think, so well, um, so well designed. The architecture is so good on on the on that shit on just filling this world with that stuff that I it's like it's singular. It's incredible. And, you know, and then and then to have, like I said, but then it's it changed the whole game. And that's what everybody said. Right. It completely changed how we look at open world in a way that, though, I will say. I'm kind of bummed that like it hasn't changed that there still is a Horizon Forbidden West that is what Horizon Forbidden West is, right? That that like it didn't change more open world experiences. As we covered in the uh Horizon episode, they will swear up and down that they were working on their open world at the same time that Nintendo was working on their open world and it had nothing to do with each other and uh-huh. that they are like a little bit, you know, they will always feel a chip on their shoulder that Zelda got all the hype for this when yeah. they were like also making these innovations at the same time. Mm-hmm. But it's um, the fact that Breath of the Wild captures the imagination and the soul in a way that it is like this Ghibli movie that you can like freely walk around in uh, to the point where like the actual real life references to Ghibli movies are kind of uncanny. Like they're... You can just cap, you can ride the spirit of the forest. Like it's just right there. It's like not, they're not even hiding it. Uh, the way it's presented, the way that nature and technology are at, uh, are at uh, stress with each other. Uh, this like post apocalyptic ennui of a society that is like rebuilding in like this weird mm-hmm. kind of ignorance, uh-huh. save for like a few old souls that remember the world dying. Um, and that they're doing all of this on 
very limited hardware. Like the, the Nintendo Switch was not a, you know, it was miraculous that it was in the palm of your hands, but it was like, it never had the just oomph to create these like HD, HDR, 4K, 60 FPS worlds that are so commonplace nowadays. It's amazing that, you know, people are completely drawn in to this world that is 30 frames per second. It's 720p at best. The way is, you know, if it's running on, in uh, desktop mode, it runs better in handheld mode because it doesn't have to render at, at, at high of a uh, resolution. But it's it's really the it's it's kind of it makes Nintendo is I'm going to say the James Cameron of video games where mm, they can just how dare like, you walk away <laughs> for a decade and come back and just be like, we didn't release this until it's ready. We this is a quality product. It's taken, yeah. you know, it's definitely the most expensive Nintendo game well, ever made. It, you know, and it's everything that Skyward Sword is not. And they just totally got the memo on that and knocked that out of the park. And yes, you might have some misgivings about some of the directionlessness or the weapon breaking. But at the end of the day, it was just so not that game. And like they needed it to so not be that game to continue to have like an uber successful franchise. I mean, they were on the brink, I think, of people looking at changing their view on a new Zelda game. And instead, they just instead of putting something out to like, here's Skyward Sword Part 2 or like, here's kind of the continuation of this format that was established with Ocarina of Time, they fucking smacked it out of the park in the, in this incredibly innovative and ballsy way that no one was expecting. And I just love them for that. Like, I just cannot believe they did it. I, I That's the thing for how conservative and like how like just by the book Nintendo can be on so many things it, when, when they do stuff like take wild swings like this, I'm always just blown away, but that they have that perfect combination of playing it safe and wild swings. They just mm-hmm. figured the balance out on that for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, they've had their failures. We have a whole bit in our live show. Come <laughs> see it. Lastpodcastnetwork.com. Release the butthole cut tour. We have a whole uh, bit about their failures. But f- but for every one failure, there's like all these successes. And for every one failure, there's like the best one of the best video games ever made. And that is really genuinely how I feel about this game. I can't wait to get into it more. Uh, and I'm so glad you're a full on convert because, yeah, r- what happened, Jake? So, d- w- when was the turn? What was the what was the eureka moment? And then we'll get into the history. Um, oh, I just finally got enough of the systems down. I just right. Like- and, and yeah, and getting the the right. You said getting that one dungeon and just having enough stuff and feeling kind of more having enough like stuff, a- having enough ingredients, uh, just like, you know, learning. I mean, it's cheesing the bullet time when you're in the air with the bow and arrow takes care having uh-huh. a decent bow and arrow can like help with a bunch of stuff. Um, just learning what the game is telling you and like understand using all of the Sheikah abilities in a like in ways that complement each other. And it's, you know, it's especially, I think those guardian beasts, you know, the, both the actual dungeons and the run up to the dungeons really like make you aware of how these systems are supposed to work Uh in a way that like makes you feel more comfortable when you go back out into the wilderness. But I feel like it totally nails that too. that, that journey of starting out in an unknown space and how scary that is and how like 
everything's just slicing you up and, you know, and, and having that feeling and then like overcoming that and like finding the confidence and everything, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It kind of perfectly exemplifies discovering the caves behind your house. And that is such a beautiful thing. And again, it totally harkens back to old school Zelda and they they've even do it in more recent ones. You start out with the three hearts. The, the idea has always been Zelda is a game that gets easier as you go on. It's mm-hmm. like the opposite of a Dark Souls, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it should feel that way. You should feel that like, oh man, now that I have this many hearts and this new ability upgrade, I mean, that stamina bar, you know, mm-hmm. immediately getting that stamina bar up to two, two circles is like a huge, like, oh, this is so much less shitty to travel around and everything. But yeah, they they just nail it so well in this game uh, in all those ways that, yeah, I feel like they lost a sense of as they continued to make, you know, uh, the, the 3D Zelda game up until this point, and by, especially by Skyward Sword. So, all right. Let's rock. Let's let's jump into it. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is a game released in 2017 for the Nintendo Switch and Wii U. Never forget. <laughs> it was directed by uh, Hidemaro Fujibayashi, written by Akihito Toda, and produced by Eiji Aonoma. I'm sure I'm butchering those names, but also this is a, another big indicator to th- this game and team of like the changing of the guard a little bit, mm-hmm. I feel like. I feel like this is kind of the new path forward in terms of the the staff uh, working so, on the game uh the staff it's obviously when we're working with japanese development stories um the they they have a much tighter control on their narratives so like a lot of this is through official sources and official interviews but um onuma who if you go way 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 back and listen to our legend of zelda multi-part series was the uh current shepherd of the series, he had uh, kind of cut his teeth with Majora's Mask and was uh, doing, you know, Wind Waker. Uh, 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 not, I guess, Phantom Hourglass, if you want to talk about that. Of course, Ma- we're talking about Scumrat Higgins, <laughs> the baddest, meanest Nintendo employee that ever existed. Twilight Burned Princess. the building down that was three the one times. That blew, blew, I, I got, got my brain uh, whomped out. <laughs> um, you know, and he was the overseer on this. But it really, I think it really, it's, it all breaks down in 2011, where at uh, E3, uh, it was, you know, The Legend of Zelda was coming up on its 25th anniversary, and it, they were doing all this big stuff. They announced the Wii U was going to come out. They did a fun HD demo for that with, like, Link fighting a Mecha Goma, and everybody was getting hyped for that. And their big event, their big, like, thing is, like, and to celebrate, we're releasing... Skyward Sword. Everybody get hyped for sk- motion controls, baby. Skyward Sword. You got to flip your arm around to. Oh, God, I knocked over a cup. It's fine. <laughs> See, this oh is why God. motion controls doesn't work. Because oh you my flip God, it it's around, you fling it around, and broke this is TV screen over. A 4K TV screen is now covered in cracks. I'm, it is unbelievable what's going on, Jake. It's a comedy of errors what's happening in Jake's apartment right now. And, uh, the result of that amazing announcement and all those years of work was nobody gave a shit. The game came out with a fart. It came out with mid-reviews. What everybody was talking about was fucking Elder Scrolls Skyrim. Skyrim was the hottest shit. And it was a Western developer doing an RPG. 
and it was like just completely came out of left field. You re- like it really was a bombshell when Skyrim dropped. The idea, you know, that idea of like see that mountain, mm-hmm. you can go there. You can was go there. Revolutionary. Yeah. The emergent storytelling, the inter, like the the convoluted systems all interacting with each other, and it kind of like was a wake up call for Aonuma, and he explicitly was like, "We got to do something different. The next Zelda is going to be different." Um, one thing he early on suggested was, you know, we're not going to do a linear path like dungeon order. And another one was, although this never quite uh, came to fruition, just a single player experience, uh, which if you're Mm. familiar with Nintendo's recent uh, litigiousness, uh, they really did not want people to make a multiplayer experience on their own. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. The team that was entrusted to see this transformation was, like you mentioned, um, Hidemaro Fujibayashi, who was the main director, um, programming director, Takuhiro Dota, who was the one who had to like actually make all of these ideas that uh, Hidemaro was coming up with a reality, and Satoru Takizawa, who was the art director, who had to like figure out what form, what vibe this new adventure was going to take. In a 2017 GDC talk, all three of them kind of go into their individual philosophies going into this game. And uh, Hidemaru, the director, kind of calls themselves the Triforce because it was him uh, as the director who had the courage to say, we should do this crazy idea. And it was uh, Takahiro Dota, the programmer, who had the wisdom and the knowledge, the Triforce of Wisdom, to actually enact those ideas. And it was uh, Satoru Takizawa who had the Triforce of Power, the power to like to, to build a world that people would want to take part in and be engaged with. I love that. Aonuma said, Our mission in developing this new Zelda game is quite plainly to rethink the conventions of Zelda. I'm referring to the expectation that the player is supposed to complete dungeons in a certain order. We want to set aside these conventions, get back to basics, and create a newborn Zelda so that the players can best enjoy the real essence of the franchise. So nonlinear gameplay, um, you know, which they'd already been pl- messing around with a little bit in the actually the Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds, which is fantastic on the Nintendo 3DS. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that, that got a lot of positive feedback. So and I think that that also helped convince them to move away all from all those remakes. Mm-hmm. So in the intervening years between the release of Breath of the Wild and Skyward Sword, 
they did the Twilight Princess HD. They did the Wind Waker HD. They did uh, Link Between Worlds. All of these remakes and remasters explicitly because they had to mine the, the franchise's past. They explicitly did this not only to just like keep people sated while they worked on this new game, but also for their own sake to like kind of talk about, you know, um, uh, Takizawa, the artist, was really just like uh, talks about how working on the Wind Waker remake, uh, just even just cranking everything up to HD before they even like did any rework on the textures or any rework on the actual like mechanics of the game. They were like, oh, this is this is that we should use this in the new game. This is like really endearing. This is beautiful. This is creating such this, this element of like of, of joy and like wonder, but also, you know, this, this post-apocalyptic world, like we really got to incorporate this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, working on link between, uh, what was, is it link between worlds was the 3ds game? Yes. So good. I love that game. So that, got, that, that game, game got me back into video games. That was, I got a 3ds and played that. And I was just completely back in after that. They don't explicitly give you all of the abilities uh, right out the gate. They just let you rent the abilities yes. and then you kind of have to experiment. That's right. And that was so weird and different. Yes, very much That so. you don't find the bow or the hook shot or mm-hmm. the flame rod in the dungeon. You have to use it. You get, you rent the flame rod, walk around with the flame rod and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, here. I go here with the flame rod and uh-huh. you kind of play that game at your own pace. Um, so they're doing all these remakes they're iterating on a lot of just weird ass ideas. Um, in this same GDC talk, uh, art director Takizawa showcases some very early concept art that the team had been working with to really shake things up. One of which involves a like modern day link with like a flying V guitar and a yeah. biker jacket. Which I think is how we got to the motorcycle in the DLC mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another one has him fighting UFOs and even though, and it's like, you know, it's like UFO, like actual like flying saucers from like a 1950s. Mm-hmm. But the idea of these like ethereal, moving, intimidating alien things does get digested into the Guardians. Like even while they're yeah. just throwing spaghetti at the walls, they're still finding nuggets and another, of good spaghetti. Another influence, by the way, definitely Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, and the creator of that game, Fu, uh, Fumito Ueda, was actually really good friends or is with uh, A.G. Aonuma. So I think that is a direct one-to-one, too, with the Guardians and everything. There were also actually standards they did want to maintain as well, according to uh, director Fujibayashi. One thing that I knew we didn't want to change was the aspect of discovery and exploration and the joy that you get from discovering something new. There's also the idea of puzzle solving. You think about it, you try some ideas, and when you're finally able to solve a puzzle, the joy and sense of accomplishment is something that I think speaks really truly to the Zelda franchise. And I wanted to make sure that that was still intact in the game. I feel like it's not just intact, it is exploded out um, into, (laughs) how many is it, 120 different little dungeons? And yeah. It, you know, yes, there are, sometimes it's a combat thing, but for the most part, you walk in and you have to solve a, a, a puzzle, sometimes a series of puzzles. I think that was also an interesting thing that I forgot about. Like, sometimes you walk in, it's a really quick little puzzle, and you're out. Sometimes it's multiple rooms 
with varying degrees of puzzles and enemies thrown in. And it fe- it's like, what What am I doing? I'm like in a dungeon dungeon, it feels, mm-hmm. feels like right now. But either way, it is just a, a ridiculous a- array of them. And, and, it, and, and it's something I think that, yes, as a Zelda enthusiast, I think we do crave, hey, the more the merrier. I, I agree with you, uh, Fujibayashi. I, I agree with you. It, I, I always feel such a great sense of accomplishment and joy by completing a puzzle in a Zelda game. And so, yeah, gimme, gimme. And they super supplied that in, in this wonderful way with those dungeons. And the fact that those lead to stat increases was such a smart thing to apply it to. And that was really different for Zelda, right? Like, yeah, you know, that is the RPG ness. Yeah. Not since like a Zelda tude where you free to like choose your upgrade path like that. Yes. And I think that was super cool and rewarding uh, and a great motivator to keep exploring. And again, and that is this, I think the secret to the sauce for me is having those constantly giving you upgrades and stuff while you're while you're doing the exploration it all comes together in this way that gets me getting lost and i it's hard to get me getting lost right mm-hmm. uh for sure and they just nail that um there was uh yeah and there was like uh also a message board that was set up that the team could post to and where all, most of the major brainstorming was happening and in fact oh okay mm-hmm. before we get to like actually building out the world even this, like they, they figured out they want it to be open world. They want it to be this expansive space. They want to recapture that Zelda one energy. And it's uh, the director of Fujibayashi who literally has to decide, well, how big is this world? What is it like? What does that even, what feels good? What feels right? And so he took to just opening up copies of Twilight Princess, Wind Waker and Ocarina of Time and just going on like walkabouts and trying to like figure out what feels like the right amount of length, what feels like uh, too long to walk in between stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. the thing that he ended up settling on was the actual home city of Nintendo, Kyoto. This is such a Nintendo-ass cute uh, Like allegory. literally like, like weird <laughs> cave behind your house. Yes. Uh, recursion happening again. Full on, full on. And so he basically laid out the, it, it was a combination of the full map of Twilight Princess and a map of Kyoto. And they just drag and dropped individual uh, landmarks such as shrines, famous buildings, shopping centers, and put in place markers in this very bare bones demo world. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gave the team a hint of like, well, you know, it takes 10 minutes to get from here to there, uh, you know, eight minutes by car. So it should take eight minutes by horse or 10 minutes by walking. You know, like it gave them a frame of reference, a space where they could play around with. And I'm not saying the map of Hyrule is the map of Kyoto. I'm just saying I did a little Photoshop manipulation. It'd feel like rotate and shrink. It kind of right. And they they even say like, hey, uh, most of like what we started out with with that map completely changed. But they innovated a lot. Um, They even had Scumrat Higgins would uh, go and kidnap people and dress them like Moblins and put them in uh, Kyoto and uh, beat them and hurt them. Scumrat Higgins said, I wish hell was real. I wish I could live in it and become the king of it through Killing and killing and killing again. The enemy design in this game. I know it gets a little repetitive. We're like, okay, now I'm fighting a blue Bacoblin instead of a red Bacoblin. Mm-hmm. But the character designs and the way that they hold, they are postured, 
the yes. way that their faces are elongated. It is so easy from a distance to instantly clock the enemy position, what way they're facing, what they're doing. The it's it's really a brilliant uh, just just piece of design the way those enemies were made. Well, they're also a lot of fun to observe because they all have incredibly unique and interesting animations that they're doing depending on what situation they're in. So they're not just kind of like completely mindless NPCs. There's something that you can you know get in on that little uh, kind of uh, zoom in view on on them when you're like scoping things out. And, and again, it just leads to the world feeling like actually lived in and alive. And again, really the technical achievement or I guess the creative achievement of working within the technical limitations can't be overstressed because uh, Link, traditionally the main character model is usually the highest detailed one because that's the one you're going to be looking at the most. And Link's model in Breath of the Wild uses about 12,000 triangles, polygons. Aloy's hair in uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, Aloy's hair uses 100,000 triangles. Wow. There are 10 times more detail in Aloy's hair crazy. than there is in Link's entire but body. The simplicity is what is what draws me in, though. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what I look towards Nintendo to bring. And, and yet... It is totally the illusion of simplicity. And as we get into especially the physics aspects of this and how the whole world interacts with each other, we'll we'll get more into the complexity. But you have this illusion of simplicity that draws you in. And then you're like, holy shit, there's so much going on. And I'm I'm just everywhere I look or everything I do, I continue to discover something new about how the world works or what the world is populated with. Uh, One very important aspect uh, that they innovated with this game director Hidemaro Fujibayashi said uh, or pointed to the climbing as the biggest impact mechanic change uh, for the open world concept he said when we thought about making an open world game and a game that really focuses on freedom we had to overcome the challenge of walls because those walls are usually places where you can't go you can't pass we had to change that into a place where you could engage with the game Uh, that was what we needed to think about what would what what that answer was, was when you're actually climbing a mountain or a wall or whatever, when you're at the base of the mountain and you look up, you want to know what's at the top. When you think of that, you have to think of how you're going to get up there. You have to think of certain paths so that you can make it up without becoming too tired. And there's also the idea of using food or medicine to make it up there. So when you think about that, then you have to think about creating a method to create that food or medicine. So you go hunting and gathering, and then you fill the field with lots of ingredients and lots of animals. So it started to create this overall game cycle where you prepare yourself for the climb, then you climb and you come to this reward. And it ended up solving a lot of the challenges that we were confronted with and created this idea of a game cycle. And I I, mm. I think that is such a great breakdown of everything of like this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, which is also how you get a lot of their physics stuff, you know. Uh, but it is so airtight and so fascinating. And, and all, so often this feeling of, wow, I can't believe I got up here. I don't think I should even be allowed to get up here. Like, and then the then you see a little rock at the hill and yeah. you pick it up mm-hmm. and there's a Korok and you're uh-huh. like, ah, oh, they knew I'd come up here. How did you feel about the the Korok thing? Is it Yahoo! I mean it's fun, um, right? I mean there's no way you're not fun. gonna try to collect them all or anything, right? You're not one of those Sometimes crazy assholes. I'll see a thing, mm-hmm. know there's a Korok somewhere around here, and I'm just like, I don't know, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. and I'll move on. Totally. Um, but most of the time, you feel very smart. The Koroks helped do the thing that I first observed about the game. I was like, this game is so brilliant. 
everywhere you go, there's something. Sometimes it's a much bigger thing like that crazy island you mentioned uh, in the beginning that I won't spoil just in case somebody's going to go play this game tomorrow instead of Tears of the Kingdom uh, for the first time. Uh, but, you know, th- th- sometimes it's a bigger thing like that. It's, a, you know, but at the very least, it's a Korok. And and yes, there's way, probably way too many of them. But that is so important to me as a person who can't just kind of, uh, like I said before, just get lost and find the fun in my own sense of discovery or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I need the carrot. I need the treat. You've got to give me the reward for going to the new place. And so that I was just so, so impressed with from the very beginning. I was like, man, and again, why it feels like it was made for me. I was like, this is so good. Every I've, I'm almost never let down. Mm. I'm almost never like, I'm going to go to that crazy spot over there and then find nothing. I, I don't know if it even is possible, right? They just always once give in you... A, once in once a while. Once in a while. There's nothing I, there and you're myself, like, oh, okay, all right, well, I guess I'll turn around. Like, slogging my way through, like, two enemy camps and a Lionel and, like, yeah. using up half my food, using up all my weapons, and I finally make it to the thing I was waiting for. Right. And, it's, and it is just, like, a weaker bow than like the uh-huh. three bows I broke trying still, to fight all that. It's shit. still something. It's just something. Yeah. And 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 that's what I feel. Breath of the Wild does that Skyrim don't. Mm. I think Skyrim. Yes, you can walk to that mountain, but oftentimes you're just walking through whatever, and you get there, and it's like I made it. All right, cool. And like, yes, I can be like, well, on my journey, I, you <laughs> know, I can build my own story in my head or something like those nerds do. But I can't. I don't work like that. I need tangible like rewards for curiosity and breath of the wild fucking murders that I feel. like. So back to the development. Yes. Yeah. Um, you were talking about how one of the brilliant things they did, because there were 200 devs working on this game at its height um, is they created this amazing kind of notation system throughout a unified yes. world that everybody was working on at the same time. So there would be these 3D kind of post-it notes that says, like, there's going to be a uh, enemy camp here. There's going to be a Korok challenge here. There's going to be a shrine here. And people knew to just, like, check things off the map. And if they were looking around and, like, there were a bunch of post-it notes, like, undone, you know, the directors and the producers could be like, all right, let's focus on this area for a little bit. Um, And so that, that was the amount of, like, quality assurance that went into this, the amount of collaborative tools, there were automated uh, QA systems where they had uh, like dev kits just playing itself, trying to like create scenarios that would crash the game, trying to find scenarios where Link would be deadlocked or stuck and they would like track those down and like fix that. They worked with test players constantly and like fine tuning everything. This entire game was like very, it was like a garden growing in real time as they filled out this world. Um, the Another huge thing is the, uh, the chemistry and the physics that made this world possible. It was, um, this was uh, in the GDC talk, this was the uh, programming director, uh, Takuhiro Dota, who brought in the fact that they pretty much just took uh, the Havoc engine which has been around since like the Xbox original, since the um, PS2, since the original GameCube, like the same physics engine that you used in Force Unleashed was brought in and it offers a very kind of simplified but reliable physics engine. Um, 
And apparently over drinks, the idea of the chemistry system mm-hmm. is what really uh, opened up the world. The fact that, you know, when something is on fi- like things that can catch on fire yeah. can catch on fire. Things that are metal react to electricity. Uh, organic all, things freeze. All of that is some of the most exciting discovery shit that happens mm-hmm. in the game. And like even the and more an, on the more annoying side of things, like having a metal sword will, you know, cu- will draw electricity in, in, to you and and oh shock no no, no. You. the annoying thing is when you're like oh it's a lightning storm I know what to do you uh take out your shitty pot lid you take your shitty boko club. And you're like, I'm set. And then immediately lightning hits you because you forgot your bow was metal. <laughs> um, but but all but, that's even that stuff is still like, man, this is so cool that this is in here. This is so interesting. And yeah, I love like when a fire gets out of hand mm-hmm. and you or, or like when when something like a chemistry thing that you weren't aware of takes out an entire like mm-hmm. t- encampment of moblins. You're like, holy shit. And you just you're just like there's there's kind of. It makes you, even though it is so structured and there's so much math and law to what's going on, it makes you feel like, wow, the possibilities are endless. Or or just when you know you are not solving this shrine puzzle the the basic intended way, you're doing it a sneaky, more creative way that they definitely are letting you do. They know that you can do it like this. That feeling of like, I got away with murder just now. Like, I can't believe I got, I think because I... I think I need the ability to swim or something for this one shrine. And I like figured out how to get through a couple of rooms without mm-hmm. being able to. And, and that feeling of like, wow, I'm like, like you stacked the a game. box on a crate and then magnesis yourself up out over mm-hmm. it. Like all that. Yeah. Shit. And it's, it's just so cool and how they got there. Is so interesting. So the physics and chemistry stuff, one of the more interesting things I found through like, there's, there's a cool little mini documentary series you can watch on uh, YouTube that Nintendo put out. Um, and it's very Nintendo. We like, you're not getting a ton of deep insider info, but, uh, they started with, I, th- it looks like they used straight up NES Zelda sprites mm-hmm. to create a, um, a simulation essentially to test out, all of these concepts of setting things on fire and things like that. And that was a, I can't believe they went that old school with this. I guess it's just the most rudimentary way would be the best way, or I don't know what, but (laughs) they had those sprites and they put it in and you get to see footage of this. And you're like, Whoa, that's so interesting. And that's how they could kind of, play with some of these systems and to get to where well, it was a where proof they of got. concept. It was, a, yeah. you know, cause everything had to get approved by, uh, Aonuma and the higher ups at Nintendo. So just to showcase, this is what this is. These are how these systems would interact. The, they also, the, the chemistry is very basic. It is like how a child's understanding of, you know, cause you throw a nine volt battery in a lake, it's not going to like kill all the fish. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you light a match. It's not going to create such a powerful updraft that you can like fly up a mountain. Right. But it still relies on a like basic kind of grade schoolers understanding of how elements interact in a very fun way. And it is intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. This was a quote that popped up uh, uh, all over the place. When I was researching this. Um, 
Aonuma said, Another example of a challenge we faced was the physics engine. We wanted a consistent physics engine throughout the world that worked in a logical and realistic way. Actually, implementing that was sometimes more complicated than it seems. For example, one day I picked up the latest build of the game and went into an area and saw that all of the objects that were supposed to be in that area weren't there. I was surprised and confused, and I realized after asking the programmer the reason the objects weren't there was because the wind in-game had blown them all away. Mm-hmm. The way the physics engine underpins everything in the world really offers up a lot of new possibilities. For instance, in Breath of the Wild, you might have a puzzle where making use of the physics, there'll be various ways you can solve that puzzle. That really opens up a lot of possibilities. So there's not just one way to progress in the game or just one way to solve a puzzle. And I think that that is so valuable to what they were trying to do with the understanding of what open world can be. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not just like, here's a big open space and you can do the dungeons in whatever order you want and this, that, and the other. But literally, like, everything is feels open. Feels open. I think a lot of times the illusion of it being open, right? Because at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you can climb anything in the game, right? But you're going to run out of stamina. Like, they, know, they, they, they so wonderfully figured out how to gatekeep progress in a natural way instead of like, there's just an invisible wall here mm-hmm. and you just can't pass the invisible wall because we don't want you to go here yet. Like mm-hmm. they, they have an answer for everything and it's so fucking cool, but that must've been insane. I don't understand how they balance. I still don't understand how they balanced it to have the, the time stop inertia thing or kinetic energy thing mixed with the magnet mixed with the water, like, and, and, and mixed with all the chemistry and it, and it's airtight. I don't understand how it's airtight. The answer that I saw for this was that, uh, they nailed the physics and the chemistry first and then mm-hmm. built the puzzles after. And the, you know, That's uh, people, smart. uh, in one interview at the very extensive site, hyraleinterviews.notion.site, um, which has tons, it's like if Schmupplations was locked in a fucking uh, prison cell for 50 years with nothing but Zelda interviews to translate. There's so many resources there dating back from the 80s. I like barely scratched the surface when asked like, hey, wasn't it an issue to like make all of these shrines? They're like, no, because we had all the systems and all we had to do was to be like, this one is electricity and magnets. This one is pushing and state like that as soon as you had the toolkit, you could just allot it out almost like on a spreadsheet and each one could be its own shrine, could be its own puzzle and its own unique interaction you have to suss out. Um, Another term uh, that came into effect in terms of game feel is from the art director, uh, Satoru Takazawa, who uh, uses this phrase a lot, refreshing but full-flavored. He claims he stole it from a beer ad. Mm. And that was to describe the way that the cartoonish elements of the game kind of reinforced and streamlined uh, things that would be kind of too bogged in the weeds in terms of simulation, in terms of like streamlining things for the player while still making it feel important and epic and awe-inspiring. Like when you knock down a tree and you hit it again, it just becomes ready-made bundles of firewood. Because- Adding a further step, you know, like Minecraft, where you got to chop the tree, then you got to make the planks, then you got to make the sticks and do all that stuff is like it can get tedious, especially if you're going to be doing this stuff over and over and over again in the cycle where you have to like beat a challenge and then restock for the next challenge. 
the fact that Link just kind of whole all the ingredients for a meal just hovers in his arms. I was about to bring up the meal as an example. Yeah, I think that's very similar. And then that. he throws it in a pot. It bounces for two seconds. And then a fully formed like gourmet meal pops up is all like it's all about creating things that are a little bit cheap. They're shortcuts, but it's still d- delightful in the way they do it. But yeah, your your brain likes yeah. it. Your brain, I think, wants that that one to two to three process Mm. like it's something that just responds so well to that because yeah even cooking which could feel tedious is an enjoyable experience for because they give you so many different ingredients and you Mm -hmm. that little extra jingle when you're uh, making something new and good it's where it's like dylan 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 and you're just like fuck yeah i made a crepe I made a crepe. Yeah, everything too in the game, like cooking, I feel like in in any other game would be intimidating to me. Same with um, all of the heat, cold stuff Mm -hmm. would be normally something. Like I remember when when you first are moving through that tutorial island, right? And and they it's make you... It's a plateau, Holden. <laughs> a ma- great plateau, if you ask me. They make you experience the act of, like, moving into a cold space and how that affects mm. you and how that hurts you and how you need to figure out what to do to get around that. And I remember initially being like, oh, man, I don't know. And then you just immediately snap into it because the process of acquiring the garbs or the f- meals is simple enough and rewarding and satisfying enough. So so you'll go along with them on a lot of stuff. I think I think one other thing that was really impressive to me about the process of making Breath of the Wild definitely uh, was the playtesting approach, which seemed very unique to me. First of all, there was definitely like a big issue with Skyward Sword. And I can I totally get this when I heard that I was like, I bet there was an issue because that's where Skyward Sword feels stilted in this way. Apparently, there was a big issue with younger staffers getting their voice heard on Skyward Sword. Mm. And one of the ways they fixed that was that message board approach, right? So they have the staff constantly throwing in new ideas in this like very much more neutral space uh, where they could implement them as they went. But then also... Another way to fix this was every three to six months, the staff would take a week to play through the whole game and any dev could make little notifications in game about what was working and what was lacking. Like they could literally add like signs Mm -hmm. and stuff in the game to mark where something was maybe annoying or something needed to be tweaked or they needed to add this. And it just, it, the game feels like it was made by the next generation, right? In a lot of ways. And Skyward Sword, doesn't it kind of feel like an, a bunch of old guys yeah. made that game? It feels like a bunch of old guys made the game and they had to prove that the Wii Motion Plus was a good investment. Right. It, yeah, it was just so stuffy and like not like not there's just it, it just felt like a devoid of, of youth. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it talked down to the player like an old person would, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of, you know, where it's telling you every two seconds how much a green rupee is worth, right? Like, you're just like, why are you, do you think kids are stupid? And I feel like this game was like re- respecting even the youngest player, you know, with to figure it out. And, and kids and, love yeah. this game. Like kids yeah, are obsessed yeah. with this game. And if there's, you know, if there's anything Minecraft has taught us, it's that kids love exploring these intricate open open worlds and infinitely fiddly systems mm-hmm. and finding these like emergent kind of stories within it. And they probably don't need the carrots like I do. They, they might even be like skipping over shrines and towers left and right and just getting lost. And it's still an enjoyable experience. Right. But yeah. then also for someone like me who needs those 
bullet points to be checked off. Who who needs to say at the end, okay, in this playthrough, I found four shrines and a tower, an unlocked a tower, and now I got my stamina upgraded, and I feel like satisfied with this time with this game. You know, it, it is so well done. They 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 also talk um, uh, in the play testing and everything. They talk about monitor testing, uh, which is how they manage to track players in game. Fujibayashi said, "There's a development tool that we use that takes all of the data from this monitor test and it centralizes it in one location, so that you can see that that data in real time. It shows how many hearts people have, or where people have died, or what path they're taking, and it's kind of on this." one singular timeline so that you can see in real time where people are struggling, where people are really dying a lot. By the way, I think this is, they even added this in the DLC, some of this, like where you see the pathing mm-hmm. and everything. One anecdote in another of these Japanese translated interviews talks about how, you know, it, was, it wasn't just about accommodating the player. It was about deciding like what they had to learn for themselves. A really early issue was that test players kept falling off the towers and plummeting to their deaths. Yes. And uh, after going over the data and seeing what happens, uh, they decided, well, you know, what happens? You die instantly. So we'll just put them back on the tower and they'll know not to fall off. And like that was the issue resolved. Yeah. And but they were able to tweak some. They did tweak some stuff with the towers in this. They were like, death is part of the process, like, which is cool. I feel like that was even a little souls inspired. Like you're going to die. It's all good. I, I, I think I talked about this before we hit record, too. Um, I think one of the things that's really important about this game is like you are going to die a lot, especially up top, because it's that's the idea. It like gets easier for Zelda as Zelda becomes stronger and is just able more able to work through the world. But they they always put you really close to where you died there. And you don't have to worry about saving your game constantly or anything like that. There, there's a very regular auto save. And like you never feel that. I'm sorry, punished. Holden. I have to I have to correct you. Otherwise, uh, people will yell at us. Uh, Zelda is the princess. Oh the my main God, character's I can't name that. is Groose. <laughs> Everybody loves Groose, the main character yes. of the Legend of Zelda franchise. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, but yeah, they, they oh, yeah. set Link back. And yeah, it they, was they, also it was also kind of rad that they just said like, no, you don't get to name him Poop Fart. He's Link. We all know his <laughs> name's Link. Link. Yeah, I like that too. I agree. One little dev anecdote that I came across that I really liked was uh, how they redesigned Link for this game. It apparently all started with a note from Eiji Aonuma, who said, why is it that Link has eyes that always looks like they're straining? Uh, Up until now, Link had parallelogram slanted eyes, and we wanted to stop that. We asked, "What should? uh, so what do you have in mind? And Aonuma answered, they should have a sorrowful feeling. Um, and this kind of led to the link that we have in this game where he is smiling, he's sad, if he's cold, he's shivering, if he's hot, he's panting, if he makes dubious food, he's a little bit nauseous. Mm-hmm. And this more rounded eyes, this softer link was such a departure when they started releasing like those trailers that people were like, is that link? Are we playing as a girl? Is that Zelda? What is going on? And really, all they did was just like round out the eyes a little bit. And people just thought this was a wholly new character. And of course, I think it was from that uh, initial gender confusion that we got the beloved character Linkle. Ah, yes, Linkle. (laughs) The uh, stupid lady Link that everybody loves. I wonder if this connects at all 
but there I did see in one point they did consider having they they refer they just said female protagonist. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty obvious that would have been Zelda. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> but they all they said was we were considering going with a with a female protagonist, which would even make sense in the lore like maybe Link is like Sleeping Beauty in Breath of the Wild like and it's actually Zelda's story and Link's asleep and and Zelda has to save Link or whatever, you know, and and, and save the the world of mm-hmm. of Hyrule. I, I would totally see that story originating with that concept but they and i so i wonder if there's any connection to that initial idea they might have like a straight up i think just zelda as the protagonist of this game which i think would have been an interesting swing maybe it was just one swing too many they're like <laughs> hey we gotta like keep some basics the same that was but, that was in fact it they're like we're already changing so much let's just right uh i will say the weird twist in this game where it's like in previous games Zelda's locked up in a tower or she's in a coma or she's captured. Not that this is different. She's like fighting Ganon. What does that mean? Uh, she is locked away in a castle and can't leave because of Ganon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, throughout totally. the game, everybody makes you feel really guilty about it. Well, and that was another really fascinating thing just to mention briefly. I don't know how, how many have you found many of the memories? Yet? Uh, just a handful, not like the full story. But it's cool that they even made the lore drops, the story beats. Uh, something that is kind of optional and something that is discovered out of or- any kind of order mm-hmm. is another fascinating innovation. But you still get you. Th- that's you know. So they put these memories all throughout the world and they show you a picture of each where you can find each one. So you can do the legwork and locate it yourself. And once you collect them all, you know you you can go back to Kakariga Village and, and progress stuff there. Um, but that was even such a fascinating way to do it. And and, and awesome, though, because you still get cutscenes, You still get some indication of, you know, what this world's all about and the different characters in it, even though it is like now a currently dead world, you know, with all the flashbacks and everything. Uh, it, it was just a really, really novel and interesting way to, to give us still story beats in a pretty difficult game to pull that off. I will acknowledge the voice acting is a little hit or miss. On the on the uh, at least mm. the English version that we got, it is very apparent. It reeks of this thing where they don't want a sense of like incongruity with the Japanese dialogue. So like the English voice actors have to strain to get their mouth flaps to match, and it creates like an odd cadence. Uh-huh. Uh, Zelda's British accent is dubious at best. Apparently, people really love the uh, French uh, voice acting job. Uh, because they just do not give a shit about matching the lip sync at all. Mm -hmm. And so they get to be much more expressive. And as a weird, just like side factoid, within the speedrunning community, the French dialogue is faster Uh. and lets you skip dialogue more quickly because they just get the words out faster. So Mm -hmm. much like in Mario 64, where you have to play the Japanese version for the to get those good, good milliseconds, uh, switching to the French audio will save you four seconds right off the bat on any speed run. Another amazing innovation is if we haven't talked about enough of them in this game uh, would lie in the music. Uh, the game's score was composed by Manaka Kataoka, Yasuaki Iwata, and Hajime Wakai. Uh, Kataoka and Wakai had already done the Zelda game Spirit Tracks and The Wind Waker for Nintendo. Uh, and it's most 
mostly made up of piano, which is very, very different for a Zelda game. And it's very ambient as well and almost elusive. It it sort of dangles around you Mm -hmm. as you're moving through. You know, um, this kind of gets snapped out when you get anywhere near an enemy, (laughs) which uh, I I read an interesting thread um, on Reddit, uh, a post saying, you know, essentially asking like, what are the things you hope don't return uh, in Tears of the Kingdom or get fixed? And one of them definitely was like, I wish they would stop like forcing dramatic action music on me just because I'm anywhere like near a Moblin <laughs> camp when like I'm just trying to get lost here, guys. I'm not, I'm, you know, like I, I hope they could tweak that a little bit. And I do agree with that because I love the the piano in this game. And, you know, and, and it's not always that they have music in towns. And all that, but uh, what? But before I get a, a little bit more into the process of creating that, what? How did you feel about it? Because I feel like it's such a standout in in this. Oh, game. I yeah, it's you know, it's especially when you look at the stuff like Twilight Princess and um, Skyward Sword. The orchestra, the orchestral fanfares are like almost overwhelming. Uh-huh. Uh huh. To the point where breaking that pattern really did make you appreciate these tunes all over again, because once in a while you'll hit like a little prayer fountain and they'll start playing like a a little twinkly tune from Ocarina of Time. And you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I remember. And it's like this subtle, but like beautiful nostalgia that you kind of just washes over you more so than if they had just like played the thing or, you know, they just went like, you'd be like, yep, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. No, it's, I found it very effective. Uh, but yes, I agree on the note that like, I'm just vibing, but 400 meters away, there's a fucking Lizalfos. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it's bum, 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 dun, dun, right. dun, dun, dun. And I'm just like, I, I'm not going to. Uh. But for the most part, more so than I think music adds to my experience in any given game, the piano in this game, the ambient stuff in this game really helps me be in the moment. And like do the thing that I'm so bad at doing, which is getting lost. It's just the way it is implemented is so gets me into that spirit of like, we're just hanging out, man. We're in this really beautiful field. It's a it's a lovely day. There's some over there. Let's go check it out. It, it just like it helps me do the thing that I usually don't get unless I'm like baked. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it, it just in life. You know what I mean? So the ambient approach was due to the composers not wanting to force any certain emotion or vibe onto the player, uh, as this is an open world that could be experienced in many different ways uh, at any given time. Kateoka said, for a real world example, someone might go for a walk outside while listening to music on their headphones. But even though they're outside, their enjoyment is very much interior as if they are in their own little world. Of course, that type of thing is still fun. But in this game, we wanted players to hear the distant cry of a beast or the burbling of a river. So we sacrificed some of the music so that the player could really experience the environment and get that sense of exploration and adventure. They also included a lot of melodies from previous Zelda games, but made different with their unique approach to the instrumentality, namely the piano. And a really cool touch is that the music in towns, I never noticed this in my playthrough, um, the music in towns gets slower as day turns to night and speeds up again as night turns to day. I thought that was just a Mm. fascinating little touch to to add to the world, add to the experience. And uh, they actually, the composer spent a lot of time just walking the map. 
and just tweaking the sound to get this perfect balance of sound and music kicking in from town to town and everything that happens in between. And you, I feel that. I think other than that little note I had about like, Sometimes the music picking up in ways where you're like, I'm not engaging with these guys. Like I'm running past these guys, but, but you know, for the most part, it is so well done, man. And, and it is really a standout. And maybe I don't give music enough credit um, in, in video games, but this, you know, you observe it and you're like, God, a, it, do, it does everything that they were trying to do with breath of the wild. A, it's so different from your normal Zelda thing. It just makes you feel like this is a totally different experience. And B, it just adds so much to this open world experience that they're trying to hit. It's just so fascinating that they were like, all right, we'll do open world. Everybody's been doing it for like a decade or more now. Like, all right, we'll try open world. And just came up with all this shit that you're like, how did people not think of this before? Like, this is so smart. This is so brilliant to add to the experience of what it is to be open. The answer to that is, you know, there were a ton of delays. Yeah. Uh, they would get close to the release date and the dev team on that little message board would still have more ideas, more refinements, more changes. Um, the, uh, you know, the they had to create a uh, port for the Switch. You know, this started on the Wii U and then kind of streamlining the stuff for the Switch made them realize that like, oh, it is actually kind of annoying to have to look away from the TV down at this little screen on your lap for a lot of this stuff. We should change this around. Um, And, you know, it became one of the most anticipated games ever. And so by the time it finally launched in 2017, people were just ravenous for it. And the reviews came in and, you know, 10s out of 10s, 10s out of 10s, 40 out of 40, 9.5 out of 10, 10 out of 10. It has a 97 on Metacritic right now. It was just like the, the mixture of anticipation and then validation for the hype going into it just created this like all-time great and nobody more ravenous than scumrad higgins but that was actually because he they found out way later he'd had rabies the entire time like he's literally <laughs> had rabies for, since uh pokemon snap and nobody, nobody knew, knew because he never been <laughs> So the fact that he avoided water was, they just thought it was right. a Right, he, he's somehow, he's, uh, they've still doing studies of this. He was somehow able to exist without water for several years. No one gets it. It's unbelievable. But uh, a couple more things about audio. Uh, Link's footprints were heavily worked on. It's such an Nintendo thing. I love it. They were, the footprints were like heavily thought over and worked on because that's the thing the player is going to hear all throughout the game is a constant. And this was achieved through Foley. Lots of stuff was achieved through Foley. In the mini documentary, a gross example was used. They had a sound effect for when a bokoblin picks its nose, which was achieved by sticking a finger in a wet cloth and squishing it around. These are the types of little details going on. And again, the bokoblin picking its nose is just another example of like, hey, you can really observe these, these enemies and they will do things that you wouldn't expect from just like a normal, you know, enemy... <laughs> AI uh, that you ever clear like a massive camp, like through the sweat of your teeth and then the blood moon hits just uh, then and they come right back. The blood moon. Yeah. So he's mentioning the blood moon. If you've not as familiar with the game or don't remember the blood moon reset, I think it was a smart way to implement the dark souls thing, mm-hmm. but not in the same way to make it a little less intense. The, the blood moon happens. I don't even know what in game time or whatever, whenever, when it does, but it happens every now and again and it completely revives like every enemy in the game um 
so it's not every time you die or every time you like sit at a bonfire or whatever because there's no bonfires in this game like in that way um but instead it's just a really smart way to be to like bring everything back but you know not do it so frequently that you're like I'm playing a Souls game no because you're playing a Zelda game and uh, they have to be generous in these different ways as much as they can be a little bit more abusive especially up top in the game uh, but you're right and and by the way that person was Noyo Broo uh, in our study session who said like the game starts like a stealth game mm-hmm. and of you know a little ways in like about a fourth of the way in it becomes like an action adventure you know mm-hmm. and that is so true but I think that that is really again smartly implemented so that they're not like forcing stealth on you uh, as much as they're just like you probably don't want to engage right now you're just going to die again so you know instead of because every Zelda game by the way that's an interesting thing it just popped in my head every Zelda game where they've tried this has has suffered of it like the stealth portion of even you know even ocarina of time or especially ocarina of time right is like annoying and then this what no i love standing still in a head yeah. waiting for a dipshit <laughs> whereas in this game it's so much more inherently implemented and you so you're not like oh no i have to get through this shitty stealth section no you're just inherently do, choosing to do it because it's it's you're gonna have an easier time and so there's no like specific delineation they just guide the player so well without telling the play it's i cannot again just know that this was the game that came out after skyward sword is so i mean i guess it makes sense because that's what everyone complained about but it's so amazing that they actually did it because just seemed like they were incapable of letting the player figure shit out I'd, i'd like to think after the end of this episode you have a better understanding of how they came to this uh problem yeah yeah for sure for sure uh, you want to get into release? Is there anything else you want to do about, talk about with the making? I've got release and then Tears of the Kingdom. Um, yeah, there's just, you know, every little thing is like, hey, how'd you come up with this? And the answer is always, uh, we deliberately tried to refine it till it worked. Yeah. And it's like, great, cool. Yeah, I mean, as far as the cooking goes, uh, one more tidbit is just, you know, they didn't want to just have you you know, doling out uh, hearts to the player like in previous Zelda games. They wanted to make that a little bit more like uh, explained so that they give you hearts through cooking. So you don't just like hit a shrub and a heart pops out Mm because that just is a little like less kind of inertia, you know, not inertia. uh, uh, What am I saying? It's it's just a little less like getting you into the immersive. There you go. It's just that much less immersive to do that. So they added cooking to explain why you would get your life back and and stuff like that. So just another example of them being like, what does open world immersion mean for a Zelda game? And just like nailing that in such a huge way. Is there anything... um, Going into Tears of the Kingdom, you know, I kind of brought this up earlier. I mean, is there anything you're like, I would love if they just completely wiped that out and changed that, you know, or or when it comes to the Breath of the Wild experience? And like, what is the Breath of the, Breath of the Wild experience for you? Is it this thing where you're like, I just get to get lost in this world, but I'm still like making progress and doing things or like what what's, you know, I don't know. What's the... I, I mean, I guess if there was a, like, I... If there was a better, a more, I guess, I don't, I don't know how to quite articulate this, but there is a specific flow to Zelda games mm-hmm. that I remember mm-hmm. dating back all the way from Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, Ocarina of Time, where you do just like you're, you do just walk into a room and you're just like, you know, you're learning a new mechanic on the fly. Each room unveils a 
different level of mechanical complexity with this new item or this new ability. And you leave with like the totem of power after beating the boss in a very like kind of streamlined way. Cause I'm having the most fun with the great beast quest. Okay. I'm have like, that is, you know, meeting the new characters, entering the new village, uh, you know, going on their little side quests. Like that feels to me more familiar and more exciting than the, countless hours just like picking up Korok seeds or like finding a weird new bug mm. or like walking around the spiral jetty, uh, uh, you know, homage or doing all this stuff. And it is fun. It does have a nice emergent gameplay, but like it's not the Zelda butters yeah. that I yearn for. And so if they just give me more of that and less like just abject, like, am I, okay, wait, I take a left, no, wait, that big mountain's in the way, yeah. that's going to be an ass A little climb. more town to dungeon flow, yeah. and I totally get that, and I think they have promised, you know, the dungeons will be, I think if they can find that balance, bringing the dungeon experience that we're used to into this mm-hmm. new experience, and, and if they can smooth that out and do that well, it's going to be amazing. For me, I agree. You know what I also love about pretty much all Zelda games? It always starts with like, do these three dungeons mm-hmm. and then like a big turning point thing happens. Mm-hmm. And then now you need to do these eight dungeons. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I wonder if they can get to that a little bit because I do love that there's like a flow to that that feels very like building to a climax. And then you build to two different climaxes in the game. Mm-hmm. Which is fun, like a kind of an initial one where like you usually end up getting the master sword or something like that, or Link become young Link becomes old Link, you know, and it's this huge turnaround moment. Uh it'd be kind of cool if they could do that. I doubt they're gonna do that, but it'd be kind of neat to see that because I always love that. I always love like you're a baby and now you're a big strong. Let me uh toot around with an ocarina. I always <laughs> love just busting that thing out and just going. So a lot of why it, it they decided on piano um, was before they always had like an ocarina or like a portable instrument and they would base all the music around that portable mm-hmm. instrument. And because they didn't have that to work with in this game, they were like, hey, we can we can do piano this time because the link doesn't like discover an instrument that he had it's like a, a world harp of or magic. something. Link could have busted out a grand piano at any time. <laughs> So they teased the game in 2013, and the next year they introduced the game's look at E3. But even though they had a planned release for 2015, the game did not show at E3 as a playable demo on the Wii U until 2016. And it was at this event that the team realized they might have something amazing on their hands, according to Fujibayashi. When we watched people play at E3, we realized that they were playing in the way that we envisioned. And when we saw that and people were reacting positively, that's when I said, all right, this is the right direction. Uh, Also, if you notice, like a lot of people kind of made this observation like, oh, interesting. You were clearly designing this game initially on the Wii U and then the Switch happened and you had to convert it. And there's this Sheikah slate and it's very similar to like a Wii U tablet. And you were kind of in that it kind of one to ones to the Switch because the Switch also is sort of a tablet thing. Yeah. But it's it's uh, it's very true. They definitely were just developing for the Wii U and switched to the uh, Switch, pun intended, I guess, or whatever. Um, but apparently they were aware of the Switch development pretty mm-hmm. much the whole time they were developing uh, Breath of the Wild. So 
they kind of it wasn't this jarring giant like oh my god you have to stop everything and and start designing for the switch as well they kind of had a feeling it was going to happen especially as the delays started so wasn't that famously or not famously in one uh piece of ephemera that i found it was uh enuma did let them know that they were going to make a uh at the time an export mm. uh Via an email, gotcha. via a single, a short, like one sentence. Email. So the game launches on Switch and Wii U in March of 2017. And maybe is this the best reviewed game of all time? Like, um, maybe <laughs> it's kind oh. of absurd. It's 10, 10 out of 10, <laughs> five stars across the board. Every now and again, you get a nine or a 9.5. But the the Breath of the Wild, like Metacritic is... <sighs> Crazy. The way Metacritic works, uh, back when there were like just a handful of video game uh-huh. magazines, they aggregate that. So the original Ocarina of Time sits at a 99. Well, that's the hilarious. It's also a Zelda Tony game. Hawk's Pro Skater 2 is at a 98. Grand Theft Auto uh, 4 uh-huh. is at a 98. Mario Galaxy is at a 97. Okay. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 5, Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, oh my god! I can't believe Red Dead and Breath 2. of the Wild are all at ninety seven. Oh, okay, I was about to say I can't. I would, that is insane to me if Red Dead Two got uh, a better score. Ooh, Disco Elysium also at a ninety seven. This is like the ninety seven is the ninety seven. Like That's if a you are spot. new to video games, just start at ninety seven on Metacritic, and you can't go Metroid Prime ninety seven. Mario Odyssey, 90, the original Halo, 97. Half-Life 2, 97. Goddamn. Yeah, that's better than the some of the 99s. Uh, so Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, let's talk about it. Of course, at the time of this recording, it has not just yet come out. So we are very excited to play it. The development on a sequel did begin in 2017, first announced at E3 in 2019. However, of course, COVID slowed things down, just like it slowed everything else down. The game got a trailer showing off gameplay and story stuff in 2021 with a release window set for 2022. However, this was changed, of course, to 2023. But now the game is finally coming out. One of the biggest, coolest swings taking place in the sequel that I love how how much this newer series is like has so many holy shit moments. I was blown away that they were like every single you're doing the same. We're giving you like five basic physics things in the very beginning, but all of them are completely different, which blows Mm -hmm. my mind. Like, so uh, the new one is the new ones are uh, reverse time ability, which is going to be tons of stuff you can do with that when it comes to like, cause you can reverse, you can make like a Bacoblin reverse uh, time uh, in an encampment and like an affect how like a battle's happening or something like that. Much less like with different physics things and things you can just change the way a lot of things are acting is may- maybe as cool as the fuse ability. I'm so excited for this. Very. This is probably the one I'm most excited about because honestly, I'm intimidated by the build stuff that we're about to talk about. I, I just have to trust the process on this one because every time they uh, throw something at me that I'm Nuts like, and I bolts, don't know. Man fucking banjo kazooie nuts and bolts has i'm just ramshackle cars you assemble yeah. in real time on the play field bad vibes i'm not i'm not a build but, but people love nuts and bolts i'm not a builder 
person in games like at all like minecraft these sorts of things i just even mario maker i'm just i can't i just don't click with it but I, i'm gonna i'm just gonna have faith and and at the very least like if you don't like love that aspect of it it's not gonna like hinder be too much of a hindrance in terms of like you getting through the game and like enjoying everything else but regardless and it does seem very simple and user-friendly like i saw a little bit of a demo on kind of building like a boat with a fan and it seemed oh, pretty no, like people straight were up. building vehicles in the original Breath of the Wild out of like octo yes. balloons and maybe that's how they got the I inspiration. We didn't we didn't talk enough about how, you know, how many I mean, there's still videos. What? We didn't talk about bomb wind jumping. We didn't talk about. Yeah, uh, there, there's still there's still videos coming out of like crazy trick shots and mm -hmm. with the bow and arrow across the map. And and yeah, exactly. Creating flying vehicles out just using the physics and, and all the different weird physics stuff that people have continued to discover and put out uh, on YouTube and things and how cool that's been to keep the game. Can you giving the game new life and everything? It's just Unless really you're making an illegal mod that turns all the Hinoxes into Shrek, then Nintendo will knock down your door, kill your yes. dog, and uh, <laughs> you have to pay them like half of your income for the rest of your life. Please, that dog had it coming. I mean, that, hey, that's why Scumrat uh, works for them. You know, he, he's the hitman. Uh, <laughs> <That's>, but, <laughs> I finally the answer. What is what does this guy even do around here? Oh like, yeah, yeah. If you pull his hair up, there's a barcode Satoru and everything. Iwata personally hired him off the streets <laughs> to be the angel of death for Nintendo's enemies. Will you be Nintendo's murderer? And Scumrat Higgins said, "Fuck yeah." <laughs> is my fucking do I you know? Do I have any fingernails? And he was like, no. <laughs> Why? And he was like, don't ask any questions. You know, there's just a whole conversation happening there that I don't even understand. I keep reading the transcript. So uh, uh, what else do you have? The, the um, As you're saying, the building stuff. The fusing thing, though, might fix a lot of people's qualms with the weapon breaking because people were kind of a little shocked to see weapon breaking coming back because that was a bit, you know, people, people definitely complained about that. Uh, but now you can take your shitty stick that will break in two swings um, and fuse it with a rock, let's say, and create this like stick rock hammer thing that's way more durable and deadly. And but apparently, I mean, the fusing is very Breath of the Wild approach in terms of like you can fuse anything with pretty much anything with pretty much anything. And the, the results are going to be so varied and fascinating. So that one gets me more excited than the building thing, but the building thing is really interesting. Uh, an ability, you know, th th you can just build vehicles and the like. Um, and then you also have more of a traversal, more of a, uh, an ability that kind of probably solves some issues for them in terms of traversal um, and maybe nerfs the climbing a little bit, which is something they want to do, but uh, it allows players to travel through up through mm. ceilings. And also, they're obviously dealing with a ton of verticality in this game because they're kind of doing an interesting thing where they're like, wait, wait, we really like the 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 floating island shit that we were doing with Skyward Sword, but we fucked everything else up. So <laughs> let's like try it again in this new game called Tears of the Kingdom and apply it to the Breath of the Wild thing. So I hope it works out because I did also like the fly the flying floating island general concept of sky of skyward sword but just it's, everything else didn't really I believe, click with it uh the fusibility is going to be known in game as the ultra hand which if yes. you look at the artwork like there's something you know link's hand is infected with some magic juice uh the uh -huh. master sword is decayed and like also stricken with whatever this is and that's a, a very uh simple nintendo deep cut 
because uh, the Ultra Hand was a original plastic toy from 1966, back when Nintendo didn't make electronic toys, uh, um, invented by Gunpei Yokoi, the Game Boy guy whose name has come up often when we talk about Nintendo. So that's just like a fun little like callback to Nintendo's roots. Another interesting thing, too, by the way, is that they did a full-on sequel to Breath of the Wild. They usually don't do that. They usually, you know, put out something new and different in the Zelda franchise every time. Uh, Majora's Mask is a good example of them sequelizing, but rarely do they do it. Uh, Aonuma said, one of the reasons we wanted to create a continuation was because I wanted to revisit that Hyrule again and use that world again while incorporating new gameplay a new story. Also, I like printing money. <laughs> I like printing it and swimming in it. Aonuma, uh, I have one quote. It to took us fi- six years to make the last one. <laughs> it's pretty much taken us, what is it, like at this point, yeah, uh, six of COVID. years to make this one. Yeah, but it's like, like uh, we're going with the same place. Yeah, uh, with, we're, with it's the attitude. same engine. All right, you get the same engine. I have a quote to finish this out. But uh, do you have anything else you want to say about Breath of the Wild? I'm so glad we finally got to do this one. I know we did what a Zelda two parter. I can't wait to keep playing this. I can't wait to keep uh, experiencing this game for the first time. We got some flights in our future on this tour that I'll be able to knock this out. I know. I'm very, I'm honestly looking forward to tomorrow's flight because I get to sit down and just play Breath of the Wild. I'm also having a, my only problem is I don't know what to do because the sequel's coming out. I don't know if I'm going to keep playing Breath of the Wild. Oh, no, I'll drop it it like a rock. And because I'm not (laughs) going to, because I finally have the Switch. I finally get to join the fucking clamoring hordes. I think that's what I'm going to do too, but I'm just enjoying the shit out of my time. So I, it's just like, man, I, you know, we've watched the 20 minute speed runs. We know how the game ends. It's fine. (laughs) Evil. I mean, I've literally beat, I've beaten it. I've done it. uh, Yeah. But on the Wii U, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. All right. Well, Anuma had this to say about it. I think for me, especially just in terms of the Zelda series, the incredible freedom that this game offers you and how well that's been received, to me, it means that freedom, that level of freedom is something that needs to be maintained in Zelda games going forward. My eyes have been opened to how important it is. Freedom, my friend. Uh, freedom. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of freedom, Scumrat Higgins is, is imprisoned. <laughs> thank God. Uh, he literally blew up a uh, an entire football state it's they have him in one of those like (laughs) magneto cells like from the x-men movies uh not Mm because he has powers it's just easier to hose down (laughs) because ooh, he's he's real man he hates that water god he hates that water (laughs) every time because of his rabies addled body it's unbelievable they say he's more (laughs) raccoon than man these days All right, we got to get out of here. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, if you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. That's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've got weekly bonus content for $5 a month. And at $15 a month, you can join us on our Sunday study session Discord. Uh, every single Sunday, uh, we hung out, watched a lot of Breath of the Wild videos and uh, all that sort of thing. And, you know, of course, the trailers for Tears of the Kingdom getting hype. It was a great time. Uh, also, so if you want to check me out, twitch.tv forward slash holdinators ho. That's twitch.tv forward slash holdinators ho. I'm streaming Monday through Friday. Catch me what Thursday mornings I play video games. So uh, if you want to catch me on that, I know Whizbrews like to pop into that one specifically because I'm doing the actual thing. Uh, so yeah, check me out. Jake. Uh, follow me on Twitter at best Jake Young, Instagram at best Jake Young. And uh, I also do a little streamy thing. It's called the Cartoon Dumpster. Uh, we watch weird old bad cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. 
And uh, it's a grand old time. Check me out. YouTube.com slash Puppet Jared. That's my little avatar, man. Or Twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. Come on over. Say hi. Check it out. Be with him. And hey, always remember, keep on whizzing. And never stop bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay.